Are you ready for God's word today? Yeah. Obviously, today is Resurrection Sunday, or some call it Easter, uh, and this day symbolizes the day, represents the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever realized this, but surely every pastor in America, probably around the world, realizes this, that this service is the most popular service on the Christian calendar. Every year, this service is the most attended service throughout the whole year. And as a pastor, I've often wondered, why is that so? What is it about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings people out to a church service today? Not only that, I've been pastoring now for over 30 years, and I've never asked myself this question, but I was asking myself this question this week. Why did Jesus pick the third day to rise from the dead? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why not rise the next day? Why not rise the second day? Why the third day? And as I considered these couple of questions, uh, I was asking the Lord, okay, God, we, we've been in this series that we've called Kingdom Principles. And for those of you that haven't been with us, a, a principle is a, a guideline or a, a spiritual a law that, that governs our lifestyle. And so we've been looking at kingdom principles because we want to know what are the spiritual laws that govern the kingdom of God. Because as Christians, we need to follow those laws. We make, need to make sure that our lives align up with those laws. And we've been doing this uh, series using the book of Matthew because Matthew, uh, more than the other gospels, he uh, portrays Jesus Christ as the king. And so it's known as the King's Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. And so uh, today we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew and we're going to also ask God, is there a kingdom principle that's uh, contained within the resurrection? So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to turn to chapter 28. And we're going to begin in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The verses will come up onto the screen. Verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of the, him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Amen. Come, and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. 
So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning so grateful for this new day that you have given us, so grateful for uh, the, the, the symbolism of this day, God. I pray now that as we take this uh, short journey through your word, that the Spirit of the Lord will help me to communicate everything that you put in my heart in such a way so that all of us could not only understand it with our mind, but it will register in our heart, Father. That's in my prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say with me, amen and amen. All right. So let's recap what we've just read. There are two Marys here that went to the tomb uh, to mourn. Uh, and, and this was on that Sunday morning, the third day. And the Bible teaches us here now that there was a violent earthquake. Now that violent earthquake is symbolic for the power of God. And this earthquake occurred as an angel came down and rolled the stone away. There was, uh, there was a stone that was rolled on the, on the entrance of the tomb, and it was sealed by, uh, by the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders so that no one could come during the night and steal the body of Jesus and then proclaim that he had risen from the dead. That's why there were guards at the tomb. That's why the tomb was sealed. And so this angel comes down in this violent earthquake, and he rolls the stone away, and he tells, he tells the two Marys now, Jesus isn't here. You're looking for him, but he's not here. He's risen just as he said he would. Now, I find it very interesting that Jesus had told his disciples three times. Everybody say three times with me. Remember, we're going to look at what, what's, the, what's the symbolism with number three? Why did Jesus rise on the third day? And I also find it interesting that Jesus told his disciples on three separate occasions that he would rise from the dead. If you're taking notes, you can mark down Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Matthew chapter 17, verse 23, and Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 19. Three separate occasions, Jesus had told his disciples, I am going to be killed, but I will rise from the dead on the third day. Everybody say third day with me. Third day. Okay. Three times, third day. And the open tomb now was so that Mary, the two Marys here, can go in and verify the declaration of the angel that Jesus, in fact, was not there. And then, of course, he instructed them to go tell the disciples that Jesus had resurrection from the dead. In that journey, they met the Lord himself, and they worshiped him. And then he told them, go, go to, to tell my brothers, go to tell my followers uh, that, that they'll see me in Galilee. And uh, we did not finish uh, the rest of the chapter, but if you read it, you would find that they did go there and they met the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's our text, and that's what occurred there. And so our questions are, why is this so important to all of us? Why does it resonate with us 
this day that of all days, you know, I, I, Pastor Trufi, I may not come to church the entire year, but I, I got to get to church on Easter. Why is that? What is it about the resurrection of Jesus that really stirs our heart to that length? And why did Jesus pick to rise from the grave on the third day? Why three? And is there a kingdom principle, a spiritual law that we need to know about so that we can structure our life around that law? Let's begin by looking at another verse from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. The Bible says, now these three, everybody say three. These three remain faith, hope, and love. Once again, we've got three, this number three that's coming up. The Apostle Paul is doing a teaching and saying these three remain. Or remain there means these three are the utmost important. Faith, hope, and love. Number three in the Hebrew culture symbolizes new life and completeness. New life and completeness. Are you following me so far? Okay. So... Here, the Apostle Paul is teaching us these three are of the utmost important. These three, faith, hope, and love. I would submit to you that what Paul was indicating was that these three are the structural pillars that the kingdom of God is built on. Faith, hope, and love. With these three structural pillars, there is new life, and completeness, faith, hope, and love. They are the pillars that hold up the structure that we know as the kingdom of God. Now, I want to bring you to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We've established so far that 3 is the number for new life and completeness. So now 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So now this verse from the Bible teaches us that God, because he's such a merciful God, sacrifice his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to die for your sin and for my sin. And then Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And now the apostle Peter is reminding us that we can experience this this new birth or this new life that, that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and this new life brings us into a living hope. Living hope. It's the title of our message here this morning. Living hope. Come on, say that with me. Living hope. Now, what do I mean by living hope? Well, living hope is an active, breathing desire along with an expectation of something good. That's a big definition, but I wanted you to get that. It is is an active, breathing, uh, it's a living desire that's coupled with this expectation that something good is going to take place. 
Because of this living hope, it brings our life into completeness, wholeness. And I'm talking about spiritually now. Because of this living hope that comes as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are brought into this living hope that gives us new life and completeness. Now, whether we realize it or not, I believe this is one of the major reasons, if not the major reason, why Easter Sunday is such a popular service for us to attend because of this living hope that it gives, that, that somehow, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there is something within our spirit that, it, that, that begins to breathe, that begins to move, that begins to become alive with hope. And we're living in such a day and age that more than ever before, I believe you'll agree with me, we all need hope. This pandemic has robbed the hope of many. Many are not expecting anything good to come. They've lost so much. They're dealing with so many issues that are coming and, and their people are desperate. We are desperate for hope. Something good to come out of this whole situation. So here's the kingdom principle that came to my heart to share with all of us here today, all of you watching online. Here's the kingdom principle that you and I need to structure our life around. Listen, living hope must be a structural pillar of our life. Remember, one of the pillars that, that is structured the kingdom of God around is hope, right? There's faith, hope, and love. Those are the three pillars that, that, that the structure that the kingdom of heaven is built upon. And you and I need to realize that we need this living hope. We have to structure our lives around this living hope that comes to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, the disciples, up until they met Jesus, had lost all hope. They were hoping because they believed with all their heart, Jesus is the Messiah. They were hoping that Jesus would lead the nation of Israel, God's people, into a newness where they would no longer be under the oppression of Roman government and they would reestablish the kingdom of God in Israel. And when Jesus died on the cross and was buried, they were now lost all hope. They did not realize that that had to take place so that the resurrection can come. You see, the resurrection is what gives us hope. With all due respect to the cross, listen, our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. But the cross, listen to me now, the cross is verified by God through the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, we would not know if God had accepted the blood of his own son to forgive your sin and mine. 
That's what makes the resurrection so powerful. That's why it brings us such hope. In fact, I want to get right into there because of this number three that talks about new life and completeness. Completeness. Let me talk to you about the, the three aspects of, of living hope that we need in all of our lives. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Hope of sin's power broken. That is the first aspect of this living hope. If I have a living hope, the first thing that comes to my heart is I need the power of sin broken in my life. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 18, you have been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verse 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, what, was, what, what do we need to be free from? Let me remind us all of something that we all know well, but sometimes we don't like to admit. Every single one of us, beginning with me, we're all born under the control of sin. Sin controls our life. It dictates to us our actions, our emotions, our thoughts. No matter how much we try, you and I were born sinful. We were born with this nature that it is natural for us to sin. It is natural for us to violate God's law. We don't even have to try to do it. It comes so easy to all of us, you see. And even as children of God, we all, in one measure or another, are still controlled by sin. Ooh, I knew it would get quiet with that one. You see, we all like to present ourselves that we are so, uh, we got it all together. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I got my Bible. See, I don't believe in that Bible that's on the phone or the iPad. I got the real deal. I come to church with the real deal. And, and you know, uh, and some of us, I don't read those newer translations. I get the King James because that's God's word. And I listen, I love the King James. I love all the different translations. I love reading from my Bible. I love all of those things. But See, what I'm getting at here this morning, and I want you to really hear my heart, every single one of us, in one form or another, still struggles with sin. Something in your life, you might, it might be different than the struggle I have, but we all struggle with something that trips us up over and over again. If I have anybody that's honest here, let me know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Pastor. Come on, wave at me. It's a little warm in here, so I need you to wave and cool me down. Right? Sin controls our actions, our thoughts. And we all need the power of God to break that in our life. See, because you can't break it. You can try as hard as you want, but you'll know and recognize I can get over on a lot of other things. I've broken this habit, I've broken that habit, but this one, some way, somehow, I can't get the victory over this one. And I'm so grateful this morning that I don't have to be the one to break it. I can look to God through, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he brings me into living hope. That is the hope that the power of sin could be broken in our life. Whatever that might be. 
Number two, this living hope produces the hope of new life. And by new life, remember the word we're using is the word completeness. I'm talking about a complete life. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says this, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. God gives us life because of the spirit of God that dwells within us. Now, Here's the Christian journey. The Christian journey begins with sins forgiven, the power of sin to control my life broken. But that is not enough. It is not enough for God to break the power of sin in your life and in my life. What we need then is to proceed and experience the complete of life. What, what I mean by that is this. God needs to give my life purpose. God needs to uh, come in by his spirit and God needs to now breathe upon me and say, Carlos, this is the plan that I have for your life. See, I, I want to begin to transform your life. I want to mold you and make you into the image of my son, Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people get confused about the Christian journey and the Christian life thinking, I gotta be better. And the bottom line is, you and I could never be better. We are sinful to the core, and we will never be better. God doesn't want you and I to be better. He wants you and I to be different. Now, what is the difference? The difference is this. Better means I have worked hard and I have mastered some things, and I've become a better person in the sense that, see, I, I don't curse anymore the way I used to curse. I don't do drugs anymore the way I used to do drugs. That, in and of itself, is not sufficient. Here's the difference. God can break the power of drugs in your life, as he did in my life, but if he doesn't change my character, sooner or later, I go back to what I know best. See, a lot of people struggle with this Christian journey because they don't realize God wants to move by his spirit in your life and produce the life of his son in you. That's why the apostle Paul said, I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. See, people don't need to see a better Carlos they need to see Jesus in Carlos. They'll never see. You will never see a better Carlos. He doesn't exist. The sinful Carlos that Jesus saved over 30 years ago is still here. And if I walk away from God today, you will see him very clearly. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? In other words, here's the hope that God doesn't leave you and I the way he found us. That there's a new life, a, a, a life that causes you to feel complete. I'm no longer empty. I no longer feel that I don't have a purpose. God is doing something in my life and people are starting to notice it. They're not noticing me. They're noticing the change, the spirit of God and what he's doing in my life, you see.
God wants to do something new. Not in only in you personally, but in your relationships, family members. Your relationships on your job. Your career, how you handle you, all of those things. God begins to move in such a powerful way that he gives us the, the hope of this new life. And that can all happen. We can all realize and experience this new life, this completeness, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, because when Christ rose from the dead, he was a new person. And when you symbolically rise from the dead, when you are born again, when you embrace Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in your heart, and now you, begin, you rise as a new person. In fact, that's what baptism, water baptism is all about. When we fill the baptismal tank in the, in, about, that's behind me and we baptize people, baptism is just an outward demonstration, an outward declaration. I'm going into this water as the old Carlos, but I'm coming up as a new Carlos. Not a better Carlos, a different Carlos, a Carlos that has the spirit of Christ dwelling within him, living and breathing and moving in a powerful way. Would you say amen to that? All right. Yeah, you can applaud that. Trust me. You should be very happy that there's a new Carlos up here, not an old Carlos. Okay, some of you have said that too. Good. Okay. Okay, now... We're talking about three aspects for this living hope. It's the hope of sin's power broken in our lives. The hope of this new life that we're experiencing. And here's my third aspect. The hope of eternal life. And when we talk about eternal life, I'm talking about being with the Lord forever and ever in heaven. Listen to a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll begin reading in the 13th verse. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed of those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no what? Hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So now, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he ultimately ascended up into heaven as at the right hand of the Father, but we have the promise of God's word that one day, come on, say one day with me, one day, Jesus is going to return. Yeah, I know that we, some of us say, well, when, when is that going to happen, Pastor? I mean, it, we've been waiting for so long. No one knows the day or the hour. 
but we do have the promise of God's word that one day Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for those who have embraced him as their Lord and their and, and Savior. Those who have said yes and invited him in their heart, who have the spirit of God dwelling within them. Now, this verse that we have just read, these verses teach us that if we die before the Lord has returned, that we are still have hope and that uh, uh, we should not grieve as those who don't have hope. Why? Because we know that when the Lord comes back, the Bible says the first thing that's going to happen is that those who have died in the Lord will come out of the grave, and then those of us who are alive, we're going to meet them in the air together, and we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever. That is the hope of the church. That is the hope that we have. That is why we go back to saying I, this living hope, the living hope. I, God, I want the power of sin broken in my life. Why? So that I can experience this new life, this completeness of life, so that I can live in this completeness of life, uh, uh, unencumbered by, by some sin dragging me down. Why do I need to do that? Because I want to be ready for when the trumpet sounds and you come back. And I spend eternity with you, God. That's my hope. You see, that is the living hope that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus. This living hope. Jesus rose on the third day, symbolizing new life and completeness. When you think about all that God has purposed and planned, there it comes in all its completeness, the power of sin broken in our life, experiencing the life of Christ in us right here, right now, and one day spending all eternity with Jesus Christ. That is the living hope that we have as the people of God. That's why this kingdom principle, living hope must be a structural pillar of our life. We've got to build our life on living hope. It's why, as the worship team comes, I, just two verses, and then we're going to pray. Romans 15, 13, listen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Listen, why? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants you and I to overflow with hope. In this day and age, in this time where so many are feeling hopeless, we, the people of God, need to be overflowing with hope. This is so crucial. It's also why you and I are exhorted in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Listen to what it says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold 
unswervingly. That unswervingly means hold on to something and don't let it go. Don't, don't hold on to it today and then let it go tomorrow. Don't say, well, I believe today, but tomorrow, well, I'm not so sure. Don't, don't go back and forth. The Bible is exhorting us. We have to hold on to hope unswervingly. Why? Because the one who promised is faithful. God has never, ever failed on any one of his promises, and he never will. And he has promised you and I that for those who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior, that you and I, we have the hope that he will break the power of sin in our life. We have the hope that he will bring us into new life where our life will be complete for the first time. And then lastly, because he's faithful, because he's promised us I will come back for you. We have the hope that one day when that trumpet sounds, we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever. That's why the Bible says you need to be encouraged today. Do we have struggles on this earth? Absolutely. Are we right now in unsure times before, before this pandemic and all these other things? People say, well, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Listen, I don't have answers for all of that, but here's the answer that the God has given you and I here today. Hold on to your hope. The devil wants to steal your hope. The devil wants to tell you things are going to get worse. It's never going to get any better. The devil wants to tell you that that sin that you're struggling with, that you can't break, it'll never be broken. See, he wants you to believe that rather than to believe that God has the power to break that thing in your life. See, the devil wants to tell you, Carlos, you're never going to change. Carlos, you're always going to be the way that you are. They're talking about this completeness of life, but that's not for you. That You don't have any purpose. The devil wants you to, to believe that and let go of the hope that God has a purpose for your life. A purpose that will bring completeness into your heart. The devil surely wants us to believe that Jesus isn't coming back. We need to hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess because he who promised is faithful.